to five. That's uh, page 489 in the Pew Bible. And we start together. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are remortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the tax for the king on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers which were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give them back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth parts of the money, grain, new wine and oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of his house and possession every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, that's 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All my men were astonished, sorry, all my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, 
and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotment to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favour, O oh my God, for, I have, for all I have done for these people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Jean, for that reading. When I was 15, I was in school one day and a message came from the deputy head to say, can all the rugby boys come and gather in the hall of break time? Now that was a terrifying thing to be told because, well, the rugby boys of the school had something of a reputation, but sure enough, we all went and we gathered. And this deputy head, who now is head of the WRU, bizarrely, said to us, boys, next year we're going on a rugby tour of Canada. We were all absolutely excited. Most of us Merthyr boys hadn't done that much travelling, and the thought of going together with your mates eight hours on a plane to play the game that you love was just amazing. And so over the next year, we got excited, we looked forward, we got measured up for suits and jerseys, we had a programme made and everything else like that. The day came, we got on a plane, all in our matching tracksuits, we went to Canada, we were welcomed, we showed off our Coot Valley's accents to the Canadian girls, and then came the day of the first game. We were in the changing room, getting changed. The forwards, if you know rugby, were doing what forwards do, bashing walls and getting overexcited. The rest of us were composing ourselves, ready to go. And then we stepped out on the pitch to play this game. And that's when the terror came. Because we realised two things. Number one, in North America, in communities, people really came out to watch this sport. And there were hundreds upon hundreds of people watching this first game of rugby. The second thing we realised was North Americans are substantially larger than boys from the South Wales Valleys. And you've got to understand, we'd grown up in this kind of Valleys town and we'd played boys from other Valleys towns. None of us knew what a protein shake was, nor had any of us seen what the inside of a gym was. We were just boys who liked chucking a rugby ball about. My build weight on that tour was seven stone, ten pounds. And so when I met up with these giant lads, all of us were utterly terrified across the field. We had no clue as to how we were going to handle it. The game kicked off, and probably for the first time in my life, I didn't want the ball. The ball came to me, and to this day, vividly, I remember being held by the jersey and quite literally spun around until I threw the ball back to somebody else. And it was the moment of realisation of, what on earth have I let myself in for? I remember that story this week, because in some ways, it feels like the people of Israel went through a very similar feeling when it came to this story of Nehemiah. For those who might not have been with us over these last few weeks, we've been exploring the book of Nehemiah over these last few weeks. And we've been looking at as part of a year of discipleship where we seek to grow as disciples. 
but also looking at the, some of the themes of rebuilding as we really seek to rebuild after COVID and all the other events of the last year. And a bit like us guys going on that journey all those years ago, for them, it started out with excitement. There was joy, there was praising, there was good things going on. And then came a moment of reality, a moment of reality of this would be hard. And that moment of reality really hit in this chapter today because they found that building the city walls was expensive. They found that giving your time to build a city was costly on their businesses, their farms and what they wanted to do. And they found that they were really struggling as a result of it all. Here we see the people of Israel, the people of God, wanting to do God's work and perhaps feeling on one level that they'd been slightly abandoned. They were struck with poverty. They were struggling financially. Their families were struggling as well. And as we know from other weeks, the mockers were telling them that it would all go wrong. But it teaches us quite a lot of realities ourselves about what rebuilding really means. And in fact, not just rebuilding, what building means and what it means for us if we want to build the kingdom of God. Because the first thing, if we're honest, we need when we build the kingdom of God is a level of sacrifice. We need to be willing to give. We need to be willing to give financially, just like these guys did here. And for our church, that's really true. This building, our services, our staff don't come for nothing. We have to pay. It costs a lot of money to run a church. And I'd be lying if I said we're rich. In fact, we're very poor. We need money to do the things that we need to do. And the only way we can do those things are if people are willing to give financially. We need to give time. The people of Israel gave up their time to build this wall. They gave up so much time that they sacrificed their finances. And in order for us to build the kingdom of God, we need to be willing to give our time as well. In order to run the missions, the ministries, and all the things that the church has, we need to be willing to give up something of ourselves. And we need to be willing to sacrifice some of our own desires in that journey as well. I wonder how many people of Israel, when they were building this wall, desired for a break, desired to be back on their farms, desired to be back at their vineyards, desired to do what they really wanted to be doing rather than building this thing. But they did it because they were invested. Sacrifices of money, sacrifices of time, and sacrifices of our own desires are all needed. And sacrifices of our own desires are especially hard when it comes to the church. Because when we come to church, we have all our own expectations. We know why we're going to church, and those reasons are really good. Perhaps we've had a really hard week, and we need to be fed again. Perhaps the world has taken its toll on us, and we need to just be refreshed. That time that we have with God 
is precious. The bystander of that is, though, that sometimes when we come to church, we get different things that we like of the church. For some people, it's singing praise songs. For some, it's singing hymns. For some, it's listening to sermons, and so on, and so on. And often, that thing that we desire most can dominate. But what we need to be willing to do if we're being truly sacrificial is to give over to bless the other. When I first arrived at my last parish nine years ago, I had a real vision and a belief that the church where it sat in the South Wales Valleys really needed to be ministering to the children of those valleys, really needed to be reaching out to young people, families, and everything else. At that time, the church just had two children in it, and it felt obvious that that's what we should be doing. I told this to the church, and the church all seemed on board, apart from one person. And it was a church warden that I inherited. Now, this church warden was a wonderful woman of faith, an incredible strong woman who is still around today, and somebody who helped me enormously. However, she had certain views on church, and especially how children should behave in church. For that hour or so that she was on church on a Sunday, she wanted to experience one thing, and she didn't want anything to get in the way. If a child made a noise, she gave a look and all of those sorts of things. She knew this, that I wanted to do, and we really argued about it. We argued and argued and argued, and in the end, we just said, let it go. Well, one day, Liz and I, arranged to do quite a big family service. And again, we wanted to really encourage as many people from the community in and celebrate togetherness, celebrate all ages being together. And I don't know the reason why in the service now, I can't remember, but in that service, Liz got our boys to bring their scooters. And as part of the sermon, the idea was you would scooter from one back to the front. I think it was to pass on a message or something like that. Anyway... Liz gives up the command, this is what we're going to do. We need somebody to go on a scooter. All of a sudden, everyone is petrified. What happens if you make a noise in front of this woman? What happens if a child day gets on a scooter in a church? What happens if a man boy gets on a scooter in a church? What is she going to do to that? And nobody did anything for a minute. There was this awkward silence. And then, all of a sudden, out of the blue, this 70-plus-year-old woman, who had such an issue with children in church, got up out of her seat, grabbed a scooter, and just started scooting all the way down the... I went, come on, everyone. Everyone join in. And you know what? From that day on, a whole atmosphere changed. From that day on, she understood what it was that we were trying to do. And over the next few years, it went from being a church that had two children to a church that had 70 children going on and coming every week. And none of that would have been possible if it wasn't for her sacrifice. And here's a question for us as a church as we really look to the future. And that is, what are we willing to sacrifice here to build the kingdom of God? What are we willing to sacrifice to see God's name proclaimed? 
What are we willing to give financially? What are we willing to give of our time? And what are we willing to give of our own desires? For the people of Israel, that is exactly what they did in order to do this thing, to build up the city, to rebuild it. They had to give up something that they perhaps desperately wanted to cling on to. But they did it. And they did it for the glory of God. Not that it did them any favours. Because I would love to say that they made all these sacrifices and it all came out really good. I'd love to say that they gave up a hundred denarii, say, and two hundred denarii came back to them. That wasn't the case. They gave up what they had and they suffered as a result. It didn't breed wealth. It didn't read health. It didn't give back anything good other than the knowledge that they were serving God. And as we read through this chapter of Nehemiah, and as Jean said, it really points to a time that we live in now. They were suffering. And in fact, if you read through the story of the Bible, you can see when people do these sacrifices that they suffer as a result. When we get to the New Testament, the book of Acts, and we hear about the apostles and the new church and how they sold everything and came together, we can think that that was all good. But later on, we read that it basically bankrupted them and they needed a collection to be taken to sustain them as they journeyed on. Doing these sacrifices don't be any good than doing the good of God. But what's really amazing about this passage is the response of the leaders of Israel to all those who are poor. Nehemiah didn't lord it over people. He made his own sacrifices and he struggled. He was one with the people. But when resources came his way, he was willing to share those resources for the blessing of other people. As a leader, that was probably the most countercultural thing to do. And one of the reasons why Nehemiah was mocked by so many from the outside was he did things in a different way. He got his hands dirty with his people. He suffered with his people. And when money came his way that could help him and his whole family, he decided to share it for the good of the community, to share what he had, to share what he inherited to bless other people and to help them as they struggle. And in doing so, he lived out one of the truths of the whole Bible that is so evident that we talk about so little, and that is helping and blessing those in need. When we go through the beginning of the Old Testament and we look at the bizarre laws, we can see that the law system is all set up to bless those who are in the most kind of need. We see that the laws of Israel are blessed to help people if they struggle. If someone is struggling, help is there. After seven years, they are set free. After 50 years, everyone is set free. They are just and they are good and they are to help people. As we get into the New Testament, we see Jesus and his attitude towards people who suffer and are in need. We see, as the book of Acts continues, how the church 
seeks to help everyone and those in need. When Jesus is asked the question about what will be said on the day of judgment, he says that when you were judged, you are going to be asked just one question. Did you feed the hungry? Did you give a drink to those who were thirsty? Did you visit the sick and those who were in prison? He didn't set, ask the question of what were you up to in 1985? Or why did you do this sin? Asking, why didn't you do these things? And this, of course, is just so relevant to the world we live in now, isn't it? Because as we look at the world today, we can see so much injustice. We can see the rich getting richer. We can see the poor getting poorer. We can see those who live in other countries of the world being screwed over because of the excesses of the Western countries. We can see so many people suffering and so much injustice that it is absolutely scary. So scary, in fact, that just this week I was reminded of a quote from JFK when he was inaugurated president in 1961, which is probably more relevant today than it was when he first said it. Man holds in his mortal hands both the ability to wipe out all forms of poverty and the weapons to wipe out all forms of life. We have the ability to do both, but so often we focus on the other, not on the good that we can do. And as God's people, we need to set the example of justice. As God's people, we need to be willing to go the extra step. As God's people, we need to seek to bless and help each other. Bless and help each other. And that's especially true right now. In the time when people are struggling with energy prices, in a time when people are struggling with the cost of living, when the time that we are struggling, we need to be willing to help each other to recognize who we are as human beings and children of God and not hoard for help. Not long after I went on that tour of Canada, I was in college in Aberdeen and a phone call came through to, from the local colliery. They were looking for a kid to go and work in the visitor center and it turned out that that person would be me. So I went up to this local colliery for this job. Now, I was petrified of going to work in this place. And I was petrified because this was Tower Colliery. And if anyone knows the story of Tower Colliery, you might know that it's the last mine open in Wales. It was closed in the early 1990s by the British government and all the workers put their redundancy money together and bought the mine and operated it together. The people who ran it had a reputation for being, shall we say, feisty. If you see photos from the 1980s and miners strikes and things like that, it was the guys from Tower Caller who were on the front line getting hit by policemen. You know the kind of drill. These guys were scary dudes, but they were paying well, so hey, I took the job. And I went up there, and to my astonishment, I met the top guy, Tyrone O'Sullivan, known throughout the UK and feared in political circles as a socialist, a hard man, somebody who'd been in and out of jail because of his beliefs throughout time. I was scared stiff of him. Then I met him, 
And it turned out he was the sweetest, loveliest human being to this day I have ever met. He was generous both with his money and with his time and would spend literally days and days with me just telling me stories about the old days. It turned out he wasn't a madman that I thought, but he was just a man who held on to certain beliefs. And I asked him one day, I said, so Tyrone, what's your problem with making money? Why don't you like it? And he said, I've got no problem making money, boy. I love making money. I want to make as much money out of this mine as I possibly can. I don't want as many people to make as much money as I can. My problem is, is how it's spent, how it's distributed. That's my issue. I've got no time for people who hold on to things while others suffer. And though that was his view, and though this guy wasn't what you call a Christian, you could see some real overlap between that and the gospel principles of giving and caring for the needy, giving and caring for those who are most in need. It is not right to hold on to our goods while others suffer. It is not the way of the Old Testament. It is not the way of the New Testament. It is not the way of Jesus, and it should not, and it should never be the way of the church. We should be loving and helping each other, and especially in difficult times. And again, it links in with this idea of sacrifice, willing to sacrifice what we have, but sacrificing to bless and help each other, sacrificing for building the kingdom of God outside and each other as well, and living out that most ultimate command of Jesus, love your neighbour. That is what we are called to do. And as I said, it isn't always easy, but it is good. Why are we generous? Why do we need to be generous? Why do we need to help the other? I'll tell you for why. Because we've got a generous God. Why are we called to be generous and sacrificial with each other and sacrificial in building the kingdom of God? Because we've got a generous God who sent his only son to die for the sins of the world. Our God has been so generous to us. The least we can do is give in return what we have. The least we can do is share what we have for the building of the kingdom of God. We are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. And he is with us in the good times, the bad times, every time the Lord walks with us. The Lord is with us. And that is a reason to celebrate. And even though times can be hard, and even though our journey of faith at times can be difficult, and even though Jesus promised us it would never always be easy, that is the reason why we rejoice. The scriptures tell us to rejoice in all circumstances. Rejoice in the good times. Rejoice in the bad times. And live out what it is to be the people of God. Live it out. Celebrate it. Take comfort in it. Rejoice in it. We're about to launch a new strapline as our church. Faith, family and fun. And I know that the word fun can grate a little bit. But the fun is the joy. The fun is the celebration. The fun is what we have in all circumstances because of what the Lord has done for us. And we want to live lives that are marked by joy. We want to tell the world we are joyful because of what Jesus has done. We want to celebrate and we want all the world to see it in every time we are changed because of Jesus. And if you want part of that, jump on board because we got the good stuff.
We want the world to know that Jesus is awesome and Jesus has done it for us. And we want to share in that. And we want to share in it sacrificially. We want to share it in those who are in need. And we want to share for all. And we want all to come. And we want to build the kingdom of God. Yes? We want to build the kingdom of God and we want to see people come to faith. Yes? All of this sounds good in words, but in practice it's a lot harder. Let us be sacrificial. Money, time, desires. Let us be willing to look after those who are most in need. And as we do it, you know what? Let's have a laugh as well. Let's take joy. Let's be comforted. May the Lord come and bless us. And may we bless the name of the Lord. Amen.